0: Welcome, everyone. We've got another top eight here with the Hall of Famer, Martin Yoza At Martin Yoza on social media, you can follow him uh, on social media. You can follow him on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Martin Yoza. Martin streams all the time. If you're playing Constructed, you want to watch that stream because one of the things Martin's very generous about and awesome about is he solicits questions from all of his viewers and he will sit there for hours answering your questions. So definitely take advantage of Martin as I do because I have the great privilege of doing a podcast with Martin live on his stream. We stream it and we do a podcast. It is the Monday Meta. Check us out. twitch.tv slash martinyuza 12 p.m. noon pacific on mondays martin and i i am mashi scanlon the guy on the left at mashi scanlon across social media and this is another top eight we got a spicy one here martin it's it's timely it it makes a lot of sense uh, and we we, we kind of chose it just for that this is top eight cards banned in standard not just this standard all standards and we we did the cutoff there because before there was standard, there was type 1, type 2, type 1.5. I'm i I'm a big fan of type 2. I, I consistently refer to standard as type 2. But these are top 8 cards banned in the standard format since the inception of the standard format because there were a lot... It was kind of nebulous bans before, and at one point it was like... There was a restricted list, and anything that was restricted in like Vintage or what we would have called Type 1 or Type 1.5 was automatically banned in what we call Type 2. There were all these weird rules like that, so this is just standard bans, top 8 cards that have ever been banned
1: in standard. Before we dive in, Martin, any honorable mentions? Uh, I have a few quick ones. Fires of Invention, obviously, anytime something gives you free mana, especially when it's something like Fires that literally gave you about hundreds of free mana in the next five turns or something, that's always crazy, so Fires... Smuggler's Smuggler's because that card has felt insanely powerful when we played with it, and it got banned within like the first two weeks of of it being legal. Felidar Guardian, it 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 made for like a crazy combo deck, and everybody just felt like, how did this card slip through the 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 R and D team? And the last one is Stormforge Mystic, and I have a re- really funny story, real quick. Uh, Pro two was it Pro two Paris? Pro two Paris that Ben Stark won. With Cobblade. We're 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 testing. I'm not testing with Team CIB, but we're we're talking to each other. I'm testing with some European guys. We still talk because we're we're all friends. Uh we were discussing what we're gonna be playing. And I talked to someone from the team and they're like, Hey, we have this really cool deck with Stoneforge Mystic. Do you wanna see it? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, sure. I see the list, they're like, yeah, if we think like this is the best, you should play it, it's going to be great. Then I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, I have my I have my own deck, it has some, you know, this Dark Steel Colossus, Cool Dota, For- uh, Forge Master stuff, and I think it's pretty good. And yeah, the Stoneforge Mystic that you, that the guys were were giving me ended up being Cobblade, which ended up being probably the the actual best deck that ever was in standard because it ended up having so many banned cards like Fonder, Preordain, Jace, you know, all the stuff is- Stoneforge Mystic w- was banned later on. So yeah. it was insane. Let me give, let me give everyone a rundown if you're listening to this
0: on uh, uh, on the podcast. Fires Invention is kind of. A recent banning, right? Fires of Invention and Agent of Treachery were just banned, and that's what kind of gave rise to this top eight. Fires of Invention and Enchantment, one red, three other. You can cast spells only during your turn, and you can cast no more than two spells each turn, you may cast spells with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control without paying their mana cost. You can see right away wizards knew they had a problem. They tried to restrict it to just your turn. They tried to restrict you to two spells because otherwise it would just get insane. And even then it was a little too much and had to get banned because of how much free mana you got out of there. Smuggler's Copter was the bane of standard for a while. Two colorless. It is an artifact vehicle flying whenever smuggler's copter attacks or blocks you may draw a card if you do discard a card crew one so you tap a one power creature a one one you get that copter going here's something i don't know if you knew this uh martin did you know that originally smuggler's copter had vigilance what no can you whenever it could that, and that and it kind of makes sense whenever smuggler's copter attacks or blocks so the idea was you oh it would God. loot It would loot on attack it would loot on block can you imagine this card at one point had vigilance
1: that is mind-blowing right yeah i mean you 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 literally need to play with the cards like three or four games to realize how insanely powerful that card is yeah and i I, I remember testing for a pt and like three three games in greg's playing that against me and i'm just like this card is so good like what the hell like what were they thinking
0: yeah, throwing throwing Vigilance on there is just uh, crazy. It's a nightmare. Felidar Guardian, of course, one white, three other. She is a cat beast, and when Felidar Guardian enters the battlefield, you may exile another target permanent you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. On its own, Guardian didn't seem that crazy, but, of course, uh, she comboed at, with, oh, my God, why can't... Um, I can't think of the planeswalker's name right now. Uh Rai, right? Sahili. Sahili. Yeah. Yep. She she comboed with Sahili, so what you did is you flickered your Sahili. Uh and then Sahili came back in, you made token, uh, you flickered out the guardian, and you 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 would go infinite there, right? So it was it was unbelievable. Um and a really it was a two-card combo in standard, which is just crazy, right? And you you could hit it on turn four. Uh and then finally, Stoneforge Mystic, one white, one other for the mystic. She is a core artificer. She's a one-two. When Stoneforge enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an enchantment, uh sorry, an enchantment, an equipment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library, and then for one white, one other, you could tap her you may put an equipment card from your hand onto the battlefield stoneforge was in a world of mind sculptors and brainstorms and or ponders and you know shuffling and and fetch lances so you could really really abuse her search ability to get so many fresh looks at cards in tandem with jace who uh no spoilers here we, we may be talking about later I had, uh, actually it's funny because Copter was going to be one of my honorable mentions. I just wanted to shout out two cards, one old school, one new school. Uh, the new school one, once upon a time, one green, one other. If this spell is the first spell you've cast this game, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or a land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This card was busted. It was played in everything. It was a huge problem. It, just, it made this combined with the London Mall multi- again it just made your draws so smooth you could you could just do so much you could keep so many hands it, it, it fixed so many problems it cured so many sins of deck building so i was glad to see it go um and then Old school card I love. I still love this card in cube. I think it's probably not very good anymore, but it's recurring nightmare. One black, two other for an enchantment. Sacrifice a creature, return recurring nightmare to its owner's hand. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. Uh, I remember Brian Sel- Selden played this to great effect in Worlds, playing this in combination with recur- uh, uh, with Survival of the Fittest. You, Rexer, recurring nightmare, and Survival of the Fittest, Rexer. You, you could, you know, pitch a card from your hand to go find another card to put in your hand that got the card into your graveyard. You'd have things like Lanoir elves or, you know, a wall of blossoms that you'd sack. Then the wall blossoms in the yard. Your new creatures out there. You had things like Spirit of the Night. You had a uh, toolbox things. Uh, it was Beagle Flight, Cloud Chaser, Eagle. I think is what it was. That was like your disenchant. So tons of things. A lot, a lot of fun. Way too slow to be effective now. But there's always been a special place in my heart for Recurring Nightmare with, with great uh, Jace, Jeff Lobenstein art. So, all right. Let's dive into our top eight. Those cards were all extremely powerful, by the way, for their formats. So it just it just gives you a little taste of where we're at with this top eight. Top eight cards that were banned in their standard coming in at number eight, an undeniably powerful card, Lotus Petal. Lotus yeah. Petal's
1: Yeah. Did you did you play with this card at all when it was in standard, Martin? I did not get to play with Lotus Petal. I didn't I don't think I got to play with it in any format except for Legacy, like in in Storm and Legacy.
0: So, you know, Lotus Petal, let, let's be clear about the kind of things, and I can't remember exactly when Lotus Petal got banned in in Standard, but I just want to give you some examples of the things that were, all, so Tempest Block and Urza's Block were in at the same time, which means you had cards like Lotus, block, uh, Lotus Petal and Yawgmoth's Will in standard at the same time, right? That seems pretty obscene. Lotus Petal, zero mana cost artifact, tap Sacrifice Lotus Petal, add one mana of any color to your mana pool, play this ability as a mana source, right? Mana source used to be a thing, that's how old this card is, but this is just incredible, right? In incredibly powerful card, still incredibly powerful. I don't. Is this? Is, I don't even know if this card's legal in Legacy or not. But um, incredibly powerful, free mana, right? It's an extra land drop. It's a disposable mox, I, You know, is is what the idea is here. But playing this in Standard, just you can see how adding four of these to your deck gives you so much acceleration, right? Two mana on turn one, maybe three mana on turn one, four mana on turn one. You a crazy draw. Finding ways to get that back from your graveyard to play, you know, things like Yagma's Will could enable that kind of stuff. So it was very, very dangerous in a world, and we'll get to this more as we climb up this list, in a world where there was a lot of broken combos, Lotus Petal was printed, and that made everything so, so dangerous and standard. But even now, an undeniably an undeniably powerful powerful card right zero mana uh, basically in, in an extra land drop
1: on turn one for lotus petal anything that lets you cheat on mana is great like it, you know oko is busted obviously that's the that's the that's the recent example imagine playing it on turn two instead of turn three or just like imagine playing anything at turn earlier take any powerful card and imagine playing it a turn earlier than you normally play it it's just gonna be. It's just gonna be uh, even then more stronger. Yeah, it's it, it, it. That kind of acceleration is crazy, and especially if you find a way to rebuy
0: it. All right, coming in. That was number eight. Coming in at number seven. It's a whole class of cards. It's the artifact lands from Mirrodin block. Now you, you. I'm sure you remember these, Martin.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. I remember them from Standard. Like Mirrodin block was centered around around artifacts, around affinity and just the whole just the whole artifact deck like it wasn't really that hard to put it together because you just put together you know Argban Ravager uh, disciple artifact lands uh, whatever had had affinity for artifacts frogmite mirror enforcer you just put the cards together and you were playing and you're like holy crap this is so powerful like I'm casting spells for free drawing extra cards with thoughtcast like the artifact lands are basically giving me more than one mana each because they they also work for affinity so they it's sort of like sort of like soarings because they 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 both give me uh they all give me two mana. So the whole the whole artifact deck was super powerful. And uh this is a fun piece of trivia. Frank Karsten toped a Grand Prix, a constructed, a constructed Grand Prix with eight lands in his sideboard. And do you you know, can you tell what format was it? What you know, what deck was it? Eight lands in his sideboard. Yeah, Frank, I think it was a, It was either standard or block constructed. And it was obviously Affinity and the lands in the sideboard were like the, the, the red artifact lands, like Glimmer Voids or whatever. And the Furness Dragon that you played for the Mirror, Yeah, which, I, I, all all artifacts. So, you know, these days, sometimes people have an extra land in their sideboard and, you know, they use it when they bring in a lot of expensive cards. They bring in the extra land, and some people are are like, you know, oh, you're playing a land the sideboard. You can just play the main deck. Frank went super far and just played a lens land in his sideboard to be able to play for Furnace Dragon, which I think was a triple red card that you yeah. wanted to have for the mirror, but not really against anything else. And the mirror was super popular, super super popular, and this was the best thing you could be doing. So it just made it just make made sense to play it because you were already good against everything else. And you didn't really want to board anything out from your deck because it was working like a well oiled oil machine. Yeah, so Furnace Dragon totally it it started
0: to change it was it was the sideboard card against affinity and it, it really changed your game plan with affinity. So for reference, Furnace Dragon, three red, six generic for a five-five dragon with affinity for artifacts. And what, what affinity means is this you know the spell costs one generic mana less to play for each artifact you control. So in effect, each of your artifact lands countered as two mana here, right? It had flying, and here was the kicker. When furnace dragon comes into play, if you played it from your hand, remove all artifacts from the game. Game. So what you were basically doing, you were basically, you know, casting Geddon and Wrath of God against your opponent and and yourself, but you have a five-five flyer left. That's that's how you ran out the Furnace Dragon in the mirror match. Uh, it was pretty backbreaking against Affinity. Martin, here's a trivia question for you: How many artifact lands can you name?
1: Cedo Synod. The. Uh... Vault Vault of Tales, something like that. Uh the Great F- Furnace. Uh wait, wait, wait. The that's a, no, I'm I'm mixing up the green and black one. You are, yeah. And then the white one was uh, I don't know really, I, I I know the pictures. I remember the pictures. I
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I know I am not it, it's gonna take me more time. I couldn't, I couldn't get this. In all
0: fairness, I couldn't get this. I have, it, I have it in front of me. So Great Furnace, yes. Seat of the Synod, yes. You are mixing up black and green. The Great, Great black, Furnace? Uh, Great Furnace, yeah, you got that. That's the red one. Black is Vault of Whispers. Oh, yeah, 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 Vault of Whispers. Green is Tree of Tales. Oh, Tree of Tales, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You got and then coming in for the white mana, Ancient den. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the one I struggled with too. I didn't get Ancient Den, so uh, and it's so funny because I guess maybe Red and Blue were the big ones played because Sea of the Synod and Great Furnace were the two that came into my mind immediately when I tried to quiz myself on this before doing this top eight, and I was like, oh my gosh, um, I couldn't, you know, I, I definitely uh, found I landed on those two at first too. So okay, that's number six. The Artifact Lands, the whole cycle of them, we clumped them together, coming in at number. Uh, I'm sorry, that was number seven. Coming in at number six. The aforementioned Jace, the Mind Sculptor. Two blue, two other for a legendary Jace Planeswalker. Plus two, look at the top card of target player's library. You may put that card on the bottom of that player's library. For zero, and this was this was the first zero Planeswalker activated ability. Draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. Wizards very clearly did not realize how freaking powerful that ability was gonna be right there. Minus one, return target creature to its owner's hand. Minus 12, exile all cards from target player's library. Then that player shuffles his or her hand into his or her library. Nobody cares about Jace's ultimate. Nobody cares about it. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Jace the Mind Sculptor.
1: Yeah, Jace basically does it all, right? It protects itself. It starts at three loyalty. You can minus one to bounce a creature. So it protects itself, still stays at two loyalty after that. It gives you card advantage. Which is the brainstorm effect, especially when when fetch lines were in the format as well, you you kind of get the 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 brainstorm fetch line combo, which is one of the strongest things you can do in, in, in legacy. So you have that as well. And being able to fate seal somebody, like look at the top of their deck and leave it there, put it put it on, on the bottom, is kind of just like how you took over when you took over the game when you stabilized. This is how you made sure that your opponent never drew uh, any more good cards, you know, for the rest of the game. And then the the ultimate ability was actually pretty relevant because if you if you kept if you kept fate ceiling, when you got to I don't know if it was eleven or twelve, you just minus eleven or minus twelve and you just won the game. So Jace oh, was wow. like Jace was absolutely crazy. And that yeah, that, that brings me back to Cobblade. Uh when you think about it. I never so I it's funny you say that. I so never I never ultimated
0: Jace's ability. Really? I, yeah, I never I never I never did that. I mean I, I think that I, I probably was playing the deck wrong, just straight up. I wasn't playing a lot of Magic at the time, and this deck was—it was a very, very these type of brainstorming decks where you—you you, know—you do things where you're, you're brainstorming and you're, you're stacking your deck. They require so much forethought in terms of how you're going to play ahead. But Jace was so obscenely powerful, obscenely powerful at the time. This was. You know, uh, this was a card that, I mean, I remember at the time, Cobblade was so dominant. It might be the most dominant standard deck of all time, and it did such amazing things between shuffling with fetches, being able to, you know, throw your two worst cards back in. Basically, you know, his Jace's zero ability became a draw three. And the way you could just totally take control of the game between fetches, between uh, Stoneforge and Jace the Mind Sculptor, much less Ponder and other cards like that, I remember it was just so unbelievable. The the strategies of like hiding cards on top with Jace in case you were facing a duress or a thought seize and things like that, I mean, it he was so powerful in this format. And, and one of the things that I've heard, one of the rumors I've heard with Jace is originally he was two blue, three generic. And at the last minute, they cut one mana off of him because they really wanted to push the power level of this Jace. Do you think he would have been played at five mana
1: in Standard for sure? Yeah, I think it's standard for sure he would. It probably should have been at five because it, it it it, it did not only did it get banned in Standard, it got banned in Modern as well or extended at that time because yeah. it was just it was just way too powerful. Like it was a crazy powerful card, and it really did it all. Like. Planeswalker shouldn't be that powerful. Like it shouldn't be able to protect itself, give you card advantage, make sure your opponent doesn't draw any more gas, have a good ultimate ability. Like it just shouldn't be able to do all that. Plus, having fetch lands in the format with the brainstorm ability it was just so so crazy powerful yeah. that it just eventually got the axe. And I mean, it,
0: you know, Jace. Jason- has seen play in vintage. That's all you kind of need to hear. Jace is so powerful, he has seen play in vintage. So Jace my sculptor, very, very correctly banned. Number six on our list. Number five on our list, a card that I played a ton up when it was in standard, Skull Clamp. The Clamp. What was your experience with Skull Clamp before it got banned in standard?
1: Oh yeah, I, I think it didn't take very long for Skull Clamp to get banned. Uh, I remember the standard format where... That was a that was a gr- summer bloom. No, it's not summer bloom. It's like a green enchantment that makes all your forests that for, for double green or something. And that would play like the three mana elf, the one one elf that searches for a forest card in your deck, and a bunch of like other elves, a bunch of w- other one ones. You'd be able to turn them uh, into extra cards. There were goblins were in the format, so you would be able to to turn small goblins into into extra cards. And skullclamp was also obviously an affinity as a way to. Uh, put it on like a frogmite. Put it on like a Mirror enforcer, a disciple. Sacrifice the card. Sacrifice the card into into Artbound Ravager. You just keep drawing more and more cards. A lot of them you were playing for free. Uh, Arbon Worker was there as well, so you had a lot of fodder, and it was just a an insane card advantage engine in a on a one mana card on a was, one mana was... card, which is which is absolutely crazy. Uh, being an artifact also helped because. It fit right into the affinity deck, and yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't only in in uh, standard. It was it was also in other formats. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Skull, Skull count is banned in modern as well, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it is. It, it, the card's insane.
0: The card you're thinking of, I think, is Vernal Bloom, which is one green thing. Whenever a forest is tapped for mana, its controller adds an, uh, a green mana to his or her mana pool, so you get an additional green. Skull Clamp, for reference, for those who aren't uh, aware of the clamp, it is a one, color, one generic artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, minus one. Whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards, and the equipped cost is one. This card... If you had creatures, you played this card. I just remember it being everywhere. You know, the Vernal Bloom decks, I remember. Affinity, obviously a natural fit. But then you saw it start... I don't know if you remember this deck. There was a Patriarch bidding Goblin deck. You started seeing Skullclamp pop up in all these Goblin decks. Because keep in mind, we had, we had cards like um, Goblin Chieftain. We had... Um, A goblin pile driver. We had uh, what's his face? The one that that creates all the tokens, then you can pay two mana. siege uh, gang commander, siege gang commander,
1: skirt prospector. Like, yeah, yeah, that was a bunch of goblins. Yeah, goblin (laughs) sledder all you did in those cases
0: is you just played the skull clamp and let it eat all the goblins. It's like, okay, so yeah, I'll pay two to draw uh, two cards. I'll pay another. So you pay one to cast it, pay one. And it became pay one color, draw two cards, pay one color, attach this goblin, goblin dies, draw two, pay one color, attach this goblin, goblin dies, draw two. You would go insane. So I remember seeing it so much. We played it mono red goblins, or you played it in um, what, what turned into patriarchs bidding goblins. Patriarchs bidding would let you, you you choose creature type and return all creatures from your graveyard of that type in. So it was, it was crazy. I have heard, this is this is funny, I have heard that the original drafts of Skull Clamp, one colorless for equipment, it gave the creature plus one, plus one. And <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I think I read that too, yeah. And Wizards thought they were toning it down, making it plus one, minus one, <laughs> not realizing they just ratcheted the power level way up because you could just throw it on every one, one, and immediately draw cards. I mean, Skull Clamp would still be undeniably powerful if it was plus one, plus one, but the plus one, minus one, letting it eat the creature, just, I mean, it, it, I mean, I think it still sees play at plus one, plus one, but the plus one, minus
1: one is just Yeah, insane I, I agree. That's, that's, that's actually really funny, right? Like if it actually was plus one, plus one, I don't think it would be nearly as powerful. Like it would still be played, but like the whole idea, and even though it's counterintuitive is that you're killing your own, your own creatures and, and you have to pay, you, you even have to pay mana for that. And that, that just doesn't sound like something you would like to do, which is probably why it slipped. But you know, all these decks all these all these all these aggressive decks with all these one ones you basically could never run out of gas as long as you had a skull clamp and not only could oh, could you kill one ones like if you played Frogmite for free you put two oh, two skull clamps on it you would draw four cards yep so it was impossible to ever run out of gas and skull clamp was just crazy powerful and making it minus one instead of plus one definitely didn't help things
0: yeah, Skull Clamp, as as uh, Martin is pointing out, Skull Clamp was your reach in these aggressive decks, right? We talk about now, in, you know, reach is always a thing where it's like, what's your backup plan in aggro? So, you know, Cycling has cards like Zenith Flare. That's the backup plan, right? I, I, Skullclamp was your reach because it, you drew so many cards off of Skull Clamp. If you're playing Goblins, you could draw 6, 10, 12 you know extra cards just because of the skull clamp and it's colorless. So it unbelievable card and it was recurring, right? The skull clamp didn't leave play. It just stayed there for the next goblin. Yep. So yes, skull clamp undeniably powerful. All right, those are our bottom four. Uh in order, number 8 Lotus Petal, number 7 the artifact lands from Mirrodin, number 6 Jace the Mind Sculptor, number 5 the clamp, Skull Clamp. So take a moment, hit pause, let us know what you think our
1: top 4 are. Oh wait, what do you got for us, Martin? One thing that I want to say is that was like that was a good good thing you pointed out. This is this is usually uh, why something like this happens. Every time people ask like, "Oh, why are you printing cards that are so powerful?" It's usually that, at least from from from, from what I've heard about the the uh, the way things work, is that something gets changed super late minute because of something else, or there you know different cards are influencing all the play design and and everything. And sometimes something gets changed super last minute. And they just don't have the time to still properly test it against everything and you know how it works. And that's why it ends up being super busted. Obviously, you know, they they, they don't play with Skull clamp, it being plus one, minus one, thinking, Oh yeah, there's no way this is gonna be that powerful. No, right. like late late minute something gets changed, it it ends up, it ends up being like that. And obviously everybody goes, This is too powerful including, including the play design team, probably thinking like, Oh yeah, I guess we shouldn't have changed it last minute because you know, this is what happened. But clearly they, they, they have a great process of, of doing all this. Like they, they printed what 20,000 unique cards and uh-huh. a, a few of them slipped obviously, but most of the time, like the, the, the process is great and all the people in the play design team are somebody that I, I, I have great respect for.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, this is top eight band cards, so these, this is a low-hanging fruit. We're given, you know, these are kind of the mistakes of Magic, but it is weird to think that Skull Clamp at one point was either plus one, plus one, or plus one, plus zero, and they, they put that minus one in there because it was too powerful at that rating. And they wanted to depower it, thinking this would depower it, of course, uh, had had the opposite effect. But yes, they didn't have proper time to test it. It was a last minute change. So those are our bottom four. I hope you've you've taken time to pause now or make your guesses. What do you think our top four are? While you're doing that, I want to remind you, this top eight is brought to you by ChannelFireball.com. You can find Martin's content on there. He's a member of Team CFB. He has amazing uh, articles on Constructed uh, under the CFB Pro Deck Vault. Great, great stuff. If you haven't signed up for CFP Pro, you should, should give it a, give it a whirl. Use the code YUZA J U Z A that supports all of Martin's content. You can also check out Martin Twitch TV slash Martin YUZA. Uh, he streams every day of the week, well every weekday, uh, and then on Mondays, I join him for the Monday Meta, twelve noon Monday Pacific, and we talk about the metagame for the prior week and the upcoming week, so things to expect and things to prepare for. So check all that out. Any purchase you make on ChannelFireball.com, use that code Yuza, J-U-Z-A, and that supports Martin and all of his great content. Okay, here we go. Number four, another reason that this top eight is so timely right now, coming in number four, Oko, Thief of Crowns. Uh, Oko, wow. One blue, one green, one other, for a legendary Oko Planeswalker, comes in with loyalty four. Plus two, he creates a food token, plus one. Plus one. Plus one. Target artifact or creature loses all abilities and becomes a green elk creature with base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three. Minus five exchange control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls with power
1: 3 or less. Talk to me about Oko, Martin. So as, as powerful as Jace is, I'm going to go ahead and say that Oko is the best Planeswalker ever printed by, I think, a significant margin, too. Like... During the Oko times, the Pro Tour in, I think it was Richmond, 70% of the players played an Oko deck, which is absolutely crazy. I don't think that has ever happened in the history of Pro Tours or or these these high-level events. I don't think there was ever a tournament where anything was more than 50%. And during the Oko times, there was 70% of the players played Oko. That's how how insanely powerful the the whole like food strategy around it was. And Oko just also does it all. It protects itself by turning things into, into Elks, uh, not only creatures, but also artifacts, which is one of the most mind-blowing things to me. In that set, some of the things that they printed were the super expensive, super powerful artifacts. Cauldron of something, the Great Henge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like these super powerful artifacts, which are supposed to make you excited about building a deck you know, built around them. But then they print this three mana card that just turns them into elks. Like, how do you want people to have fun in the format where you give them these, you know, great tools to to build new cool decks? But then there's Oko that just says, like, actually, you know what? You spend all this time working towards having the great Henshin play. Now it's gonna be an elk. So the like Oko was just like absolutely crazy powerful. Protects itself makes your own food tokens into three three so you can get on the offense as well and it's not only good in or it was not only good in standard it's good in basically any other format in magic including cube or vintage or just i think right now it's pretty much banned everywhere
0: yeah, I mean Oko it was a sl- it was kind of a slowish drip, but every week Oko got banned in a new format. <laughs> he he is not welcome in Magic uh basically anywhere. So he, it was it was pretty crazy to watch because we saw him first of all he wasn't initially banned. Remember he wasn't part of that initial ban announcement and then like what a week later or something they they end up banning Oko in standard and then and then Oko gets banned uh in in historic and modern and pioneer like every week it was a new Oko banning. He invalid ball- <laughs> You know, we talk about cards that invalidate strategies, and Oko it felt like he invalidated standard. It wasn't like he invalidated a strategy or or took out he just made standard just completely he just took over standard. It was all Oko yeah. all the time. He invalidated the whole format. So um it was it was it was so crazy, right? Um and like and,
1: you, you also had gilded goose in the format who played on turn two. <laughs> like yeah, you could accelerate him out. Like if anybody played turn two oko against you, it didn't really matter what you were playing. Uh, you would basically just win the game on the spot. It didn't really matter what you were playing.
0: Yeah, yeah You 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 had to answer it, and you know you know, maybe your own oko would give you a chance. Um, you know, and then it was just a race of okos, which is a terrible terrible place for standard to be in. But yes, oko very very rightly banned, and people were begging for this banning for a long time. It's weird, though. I bet a lot of people did not expect Oko to be number four on this list. Our top three are some more, some older esoteric cards. And I have to, I have to admit, one, that's my thumb on the scale. Two, I did, in all fairness, I want to admit this candidly, I did consult with uh, one of the other Hall of Fame members of Team CFB, William Huey Jensen. Of course, Huey is an old school player as well. And so he helped me on this because originally I had, I had Oko at number two, the first draft of this. And he's like, oh, I think this card, I think this card. And I remember some of these cards, but I, see, I tend to weigh older stuff a little bit more. But uh, I have the Huey stamp of
1: approval. Okay. Number three, Earthcraft. <laughs> Earthcraft. <laughs> yeah. now- and you're going to have to do a uh, you're going to have to do the the talking here because when mashi when Mashie told me about earthcraft being in the list i was like wait a minute i need to google what it does yeah so <laughs> i need earthcraft. to look at exactly what earthcraft does so yeah let's uh, let's let's tell us what what is so powerful about earthcraft i will be i will be
0: your google here for everyone listening it's it's an enchantment for one green one other you tap an untapped creature you control untapped target basic land the plan, we, this was an old school Simic deck, as I recall, with Earthcraft, was you play, you you, you, you can have elves, whatever, you have elves. Uh, you play Earthcraft, and you play Wild Growth or something like that on one of your lands, and then you drop in that little innocuous Horseshoe Crab. One blue, two other for a one three. For okay. one blue colon, you untap Horseshoe Crab. And so what happened is you'd Wild Growth uh, or somehow put a mana accelerant on your land. You have a Horseshoe Crab, you have infinite mana. Boom, there it is, infinite mana and this was a very common thing it was very very common to get killed with infinite mana in this format using and do you, do you know what the kill card of choice is because it's going to come up again on this list with earthcraft in tempest with, with infinite mana you you would generate infinite mana oh, stroke,
1: was it no stroke of genius no it was stroke of genius Oh yeah
0: yeah you'd you'd generate in, infinite mana with horseshoe crab through earthcraft and you drop stroke of genius one blue two other uh, one, it's one blue, two generic, X generic, target player draws X cards. Generate infinite mana, make your opponent draw infinite, boom, game over. Footnote, one of the great things about Stroke of Genius is it does have a picture of Urza designing Karn. So check that out, a little bit of lore stuff on there. But Earthcraft in general, like think about this, you tap an untapped creature you control, untap target, basic land. They tried to hem it in, they tried to make it a basic land. This card is, I think this card might be banned in Legacy, too. I mean, this card's busted. I think the, In the Eternal formats, I think it might be banned. I'm not 100% sure on that. But, yeah, the card, it was all combo. You know? And this is when, you know, the warning signs for cards, I think, were a little bit lower in these days. But, yeah, Earthcraft was super, super busted. The next two, in Earthcraft and Oko, I can see that being kind of flip-floppy. The next two are number two and number one on our list were just so, so busted. Coming in at number two. Memory Jar. Memory Jar, five colorless. Tap, sacrifice Memory Jar. Each player exiles all cards from his or her hand face down and draws seven cards. At the beginning of the next end step, each player discards his or her hand and returns to his or her hand each card he or she exiled. Now, Memory Jar seems kind of innocuous, and you've got to leave it to magic players who are going to game their way around these things. There's another card that you played in tandem with Memory Jar, and it was called Megrim. Yeah, Megrim, for those who don't know, one black, two other for an enchantment. Whenever an opponent discards a card, Megrim deals two damage to that player. The trick here was you you basically played a bunch of Acceleration, like Lotus Petal earlier on this list, cards like Grim Monolith, which got you a ton of mana very, very quickly. You had access to Vampiric Tutor, don't forget. So you could assemble the pieces for Megrim Memory Jar very, very quickly. Speaking of Grim Monolith, was that card not banned? I don't think it was ever banned in standard. No, it was never
1: banned. Can I think of something that's absolutely crazy powerful? I think of like Cube. One of the most powerful cards in Cube. Grim Monolith is like on the top of the list, right? How was that yeah. card never banned? That's the most ridiculously... Like imagine that card being legal today. You're playing like turn three, like, you know, Primeval Titan kind of cards. Like turn three Ugin or something. That's that's unimaginable. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't... I
0: don't I don't know. It Maybe it's because I played so much Magic in that area. I mean, one of the things... Cards were a lot different then too, because like one of the th- big things you put out with Grim Monolith back in the day There was a great accelerated blue deck. I don't know if was before your time But you know you basically you play turn two monolith turn three morphling one mana up to make it untargetable, right? That was like your big play you had cards like miscalculation uh, And stuff like that that you you know counter spell was in But yeah accelerated blue was the real de- master core your, your two win conditions in those day were master core and morphling and morphling was You know uh, her nickname was superman at the time morphling was like the top end that was the card that you played so things were a little bit safer then but this migram memory jar was a crazy combo deck you had access to cards like tinker as well to find that memory jar and basically you you wanted to sack stuff so that you know you, you activate the memory jar, but you have a megrim in play. So your opponent, when they go to discard, they're going to take tons of damage. Uh, some versions played multiple megrims. Some versions only played one megrim, counting on getting you know multiple memory jar activations in there. But I think you know it, it was a crazy, crazy combo, and it was so quick, and it 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 was taking over standard. It for for very very good reason. You know you got rid of uh, you got rid of memory jar. So um, it was yeah, it
1: was. Memory Jar is restricted in vintage. It's, well, it's banned. Dry. in Legacy, and at the same time, when it got restricted in vintage, Maze of Ith got unrestricted. Like compare the power of like these cards. Like the, today, Maze of Ith is not something you would even think of putting into your deck. And like back in the days, this is what was what was restricted in vintage, and then you know Memory Jar and these kind of cards came came into play.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this, the power level of Urza's block, because I believe the original printing for Jar might be Legacy, uh, if I remember correctly. Urza's Legacy is the hammer. I always got to think about, was it the hammer, was it the flask, or was it the gear? So uh, pretty sure uh, Memory Jar is the hammer, so it's Urza's Legacy. Urza's block is the most busted friggin' block in the history of magic, and that leads us right into number one, Tolarian Academy. Tolarian Academy is, I mean, I don't know. Is this this the most powerful land ever printed, Tolarian Academy? It is a legendary land tapped to add one blue mana to your mana pool for each artifact you control. So so Urza's block was supposed to be the enchantment block if they were really leaning into enchantments. But it turns out it was the free spell artifact block because you had crazy, like you said, there was Grim Monolith. There was Voltaic Key. There was, you know... Lotus Petal, right? Or or... No, Lotus Petal's Tempest block. It's oh, it's a Tempest, Tempest, oh, Tempest block. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there were so many freaking crazy artifacts And Tolarian Academy. You know, and there's other cards like Time Spiral, which you can include on this list. I kind of wanted Tolarian Academy to be a catch-all for that 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 era of cards. There were there were cards like Cloud of Fairies. Uh, Rewind is a good example that's going to be back in Standard. But you know, Time Spiral is another great example where you'd cast the spell when it resolved, you got to untap your lands and what you would do this you would generate again obscene amounts of mana like turn 2 turn 3 and just kill your opponent right away with with again a stroke of genius you'd just you would you'd untap you know cuz think about this if you have enough mana with Talarian Academy and your Grim Monolith you're just going to you know, uh, you can untap your monolith, especially if things like Voltaic Key, start generating all these obscene amounts of, of mana, run it through the academy. You can untap the academy with your untapped spells, be it snap or time spiral or you know, cloud of fairies, whatever it is, whatever you want to do, you, you basically can untap your Talarian Academy as many times as you want, because you can draw cards too, you can stroke yourself if you need to, you you to build up all that mana and then stroke your opponent out. It was pretty crazy. In this format, I remember this format, you were basically playing either Academy or Fish. And I can't I the name of the spell escapes me right now, but there's a cycling, uh, there's a cycling enchantment that's basically phantasmal terrain, right? And you you, you played four of these main, so you could cast it. On your opponent's Thalia Academy, you also played your own Thalia Academy because at the time the legend rule was, you know, if I got my academy out first, you couldn't play your academy, right? That's how the legend rule used to work back then. Even if you didn't have artifacts, you wanted Thalia Academy. Um, what well, you mean? You normally had artifacts during this time, but even if you couldn't generate all that crazy value, you wanted an academy, and you played this card just to prevent your opponent from playing it. It is an insanely busted card Planet academy so uh, and even in academy ruins the this card in ruins still playable <laughs> that's how good Planet academy is um and i think there were i i think this might have been a crop of emergency bands or some crazy uh bands might have been before the pro tour or something like that uh, i can't remember if it was, i i there was a lot of stuff that happened in this time way got uh Banned or errated. There was emergency errated just before this for a ban. So there was a lot of emergency stuff that was going on with banning. And this is an era too. Urza's block was the last great era of multiple bands, right? Like now we're in that era again with multiple bands. But yeah, number one on our list, I think rightfully so, Tolarian Academy, and I think it's restricted in all the
1: older formats, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Like if you think about it, like the one thing I remember about Academy is the the ex- there was like an extended pro tour in Rome that was won by the the Academy deck with like Lotus Petal uh Man- Mana Vault, Mox Diamond and I think we were like you were you could probably even win on turn one with all like the windfall time spiral action and mm-hmm. and having plans like Ancient Tomb and and Talurian Academy. And people were like I was looking looking at the top eight, people were playing like white red weenie people are playing like turn one mock fanatic and you literally drew 20 cards with stroke of genius like mm-hmm. imagine how you how how in the world you must have been feeling when you played this deck with all these insanely crazy powerful cards and your opponent went turn turn one seven of lions or turn one Jekyll pup or something and you just go like yeah you know make make 25 mana play stroke of genius well, it's insane. You you had a buy basically, yeah. Are you, are you talking about
0: three deuce? I remember that deck. Three deuce was a deck uh, fanatics or a pup. It was pups, Savannah Lions, and um, the two one island walking Riverball, three deuce. Oh, yeah, my with curse scroll and stuff like that. Wow, wow, good. <laughs> Good times. But yeah, it, you know, you, you saw plays like that first turn Wild Dogs, first turn, uh, you know, Jocko Puppy. you're like, this is great. This is a buy. You're, you're, you're totally dead. And even Fish, the, there was a mono blue Fish deck, and it was designed to beat this Academy deck. And it, it, it literally had, you were main decking so many sideboard cards just against this deck, and you just, it, it had a low win percentage. You could not build a deck just to beat this deck at that time in Standard. You just couldn't, you couldn't win. So... There you go. That is our top eight cards banned in standard. I'll write it down for everyone one more time. Coming in at number eight was Lotus Petal. Number seven, we had our Artifacts Lands. Number six, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Number five, Skullclamp. Number four, Oko, Thief of Crowns, according to Martin, the best Planeswalker ever printed. Number three was Earthcraft. Number two, Memory Jar. And number one, the number one card banned in standard, Tolarian Academy. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much, Martin, for joining us for this top eight. A very timely top eight as we uh, face so many standards. It feels like, you know, hopefully M21. I mean, look, Veil of Summer was a Corset card. Corset cards can get banned, too, okay, everyone? So hopefully we we run through M21 with no bans. There have been a lot of bannings in standard. But as Martin said, look, R&D has a crazy job. Balancing, we only look at the constructed side for this kind of stuff. Balancing, constructed, and limited, making a good limited format, which, by the way, even though Martin's not playing a ton right now, I do think Aquarius is a very, very fun and good limited format. Uh, is really, really tough. Uh, but mistakes happen, and this is a, a topic kind of highlighting those mistakes. Let's not be too hard on them, though. So uh, thank you, Martin. He is the Hall of Famer at Martin Yuza. You can use the code JUZA Yuzza, on ChannelFireball.com for any of your purchases or to sign up for CFB Pro. All of that supports Martin and his amazing content, including his stream, twitch.tv slash martinyuza, and the Monday Meta, where I get to join Martin every Monday on that Twitch stream, 12 noon Pacific. Check us out. Download the podcast, the Monday Meta. We'd love to hear from you. And you can always tweet at Martin uh, or myself. For any questions you have about constructed, or join us live and ask those questions live, or join Martin on any of his streams and ask those questions live. He's great about answering uh, everyone who watches. So thanks again, Martin. It was great talking to you, and I guess uh, I'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: yeah, I'll see you guys on, on Monday.
0: Take care, everyone.